0: You know, as an officer, I was a combat engineer. One of the main things that we do is we're responsible for route clearance. We go through and clear the the roadways of roadside bombs and IEDs, making sure that our, our soldiers are safe.
1: Hello, darling. You're listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast with your host, Portia Scott. This podcast is a collection of interviews and stories weaving together life's pivotal moments and the decisions made to show up and impact humanity one person at a time The Wake Up and Show Up podcast has curated a weekly podcast episode recap you heard it right thursdays at 8 p.m eastern time on facebook live and on youtube this week our guests will be on the show we'll be answering your questions about the episode we'll take a deeper dive into some of these stories and if you have questions whether about the show about this episode about whatever we're taking your questions online you can make sure they're anonymous if you want but we want to make sure that you ask your questions you can text us at 404-737-0867 that's 404-737-0867 with your questions also you can just click on the link in the show notes it'll take you right there and you can ask your questions I look forward to seeing you Every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook at I Am Portia Scott or YouTube at Portia Scott Media. See you inside. Hello, darlings, and welcome to today's episode. I am super excited because I have a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine on the show, Michael Reeves. So Michael and I have a history because we were in the same unit at Fort Bragg in North Carolina years and years ago. Reeves and I had the opportunity to deploy together, and it was really on that deployment that I think the friendship really flourished. Uh, We spent time together. We were both... uh, Uh, believers. And so we were able to encourage each other in that way. And it just was just a magical thing. And then after I got out, he got out, we're going to talk a little bit about how his life changed. But we were able to connect again, a couple of years ago, When my family moved here and they were headed out on their mission trip and they had the opportunity to come to our church and I got the opportunity to meet his whole family. He got the opportunity to meet mine and we actually went to Centennial Park. So I am so excited to have him on the podcast. He is not just another house guest. He is my friend. So you guys uh, help me in welcoming today's house guest, Michael Reeves. Mike? How are you doing? <laughs> hello, you. darling.
0: It, let, it's let so funny. It right.
1: I don't call you Michael. I call you Reeves. I'm sorry. I think no, you're always gonna no. be Reeves to me.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking about that when you're introducing me. And like, if somebody on the civilian side called me Reeves, I'd be like, why are you calling me that? But when you say it, it just it's natural. It's just that's who I am.
1: I love it. So thank you so much for joining. I cannot wait to jump in and just get into your story. And really how you and your family are impacting the lives of other people. So before we get in there, I always ask, I begin every show with what I'm grateful for. And I ask our guests, what are they grateful for? So I'm going to ask you, what are you grateful for?
0: So I'm going to give the Sunday school answer. I mean, obviously, I'm thankful for God and my relationship with Jesus. And I mean, that's who we are. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. And as believers, if that wasn't your first answer, then I'd be like, wait, what's, what's going on here? But aside from that, I'm really thankful for my wife and kids. Um, I've got a great, better half, and I've got some awesome kids who try my patience. But at the same time, I mean, I look at them at the end of the day, and I, I still think, what a blessing all four of my kids are in our lives. The other thing I would say is, you know, I'm... I'm grateful for the people that God put in my pathway. And that includes you. But those people that, that lift you up when you need to be lifted up and they don't tear you down. You know, I Kelly and I went through some spiritual warfare where we actually had to separate for some people that were really toxic. And for a while, you know, my inner circle of friends, I could, I could write it on a post-it, you know, and it's, and God's healed a lot of that. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's a small circle of friends, and there's those ones that, you know, when you're, your chin's down, they lift your chin up. Like you, you're a child of the king, and you need to remember that. And that's what I'm really grateful for those people that really breathe wisdom and love into our lives.
1: I love that. You've, you've always been that person too. You know, I always see you. You you always had like a smile on your face, even when it was rough, right? Because we had some rough times yep. over there. We had some rough times even back in Garrison, but you always had a smile on your face. And so uh, it was funny because when I left, you went on to do greater things. You became an officer. So before we get into the work that you're kind of doing now, tell us a little bit about what you were actually doing before you were called to the mission field?
0: Mm, so pre-Army, I was a special ed teacher and I did that for three years.
1: I forgot about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's easy to, cause it was a short, it was like vapor as far as our lives go. And that's my second year teaching is when 9-11 happened. And then I was like, yep, yeah, I might be safer in combat than in this, this classroom. So let me go on in the list. But no, I mean, I really felt the, the draw to, to go serve our country. And then after we were enlisted together, um, I crossed over to what I call the dark side, you know, the officer side. And, you know, as an officer, I was a combat engineer. And one of the things that, well, one of the main things that we do in theater is we're responsible for route clearance. So we, we go through and clear the, the roadways of roadside bombs and IEDs and make it safer for those people like you guys doing postal, um, getting the mail there, getting from point A to point B and just making sure that our our soldiers are safe, safe safe-ish. There's really not safe downrange, but safer going from point A to point B.
1: And so when we went, we did um, a little over a year. We did a little over a year, I think, or right at a year. How many deployments have you been on?
0: By the grace of God, and this is crazy because I had over ten years in, I did two deployments.
1: So the one you did with me, and then the mm-hmm. one you went back in as an officer when you were clearing, you know, road bombs and doing all of that
0: stuff. Yeah, and actually during that time frame, I was the brigade movement officer. So I was moving about fifteen hundred people um in and out of theater. So, I mean, I was brigade staff. so I honestly, I wasn't out there with our guys clearing that I was going I was going all over Iraq making sure that we were getting people in and out in their equipment.
1: you know, a lot of times we talk about the things that happen overseas and the effects that soldiers come back with. but i I actually want to ask a different question. I want to mm-hmm. know how did how did going on deployments, how did that change you? Like, I feel like my deployments, they made me a better person, right? Mm -hmm. In so many ways. And so for your deployments, how, how did they change you?
0: Mm. Well, you know, the uglier side of being deployed. And I think you and I both witnessed this and other people we were deployed with, you find different ways to engage your mind and your body and, You know that adage of idle idle hands or the devil's workshop i mean we saw people you know having fair affairs or you know doing pornography or all these other things that are just hurtful but what that did for me is i mean i tied in with the chapel i tied in with other people of faith so we were together i mean i had you there and we we could go to church together And then even as an officer, I tied in with chapel and I was helping to do praise and worship because I knew that if I wasn't plugging in and being fed, then it's in that environment when you're working 18 hour days, it's easy to lose sight of that faith. Um, And during my my last appointment, that's really when God started working on my heart and looking at the next step. And if I didn't go through that hardship, I don't know if I would have been broken enough to... Pour back in the word and put everything at his feet and actually start looking at what he was calling me to do next.
1: So you come home and then bam, missionary work. So tell us us a little bit about that. I mean, you kind of allude to it to say, you know, you were in a place to hear. So what does that look like, that transition from the military to missionary?
0: Well, you know, I mean, Kelly and I knew that one day we would be missionaries. And it was just a matter of time. But so I came back, I was medically evacuated out of Iraq and, you know, I came back about a month earlier than my, the rest of my unit. And I already knew at that point I had pulled my name out of the hat. I was supposed to be in special operations. I got picked up for civil affairs, which for civilians, it's the, it's kind of like missions without Jesus. You go and you respond to need, you're helping to win hearts and minds. I thought, what a perfect way, God. Let me help you out. What a perfect way to, to, you know, segue into missions work one day when we do it. And he was like, that's a good plan. But look, check this out. This is what you're going to do. You're going to get out and you're going to go to the mission field because I didn't promise you 20 years in a retirement and, and the rank of full bird colonel. And I was like, all right. All right. Go ahead on. So yeah I got back and i immediately um started seminary and by the grace of God, I could do that during my final year and a half as I was working to get out and then the e t s day came and we started looking at mission organizations and we found the one we're with at sim or s i m um, and for those people that don't know s i m think back in two thousand it was two thousand and fourteen maybe 15. I don't know. All these years are a blur, especially with COVID. I don't even, I don't know what year it is now. But we had two Americans that were serving in Liberia as missionaries, and they contracted Ebola, and they were brought back to the Emory Medical Center for Infectious Disease. Well, one of those missionaries was a Samaritan's Purse missionary. Um, that's the doctor, Kent Brantley. The other one was Nancy Reibold, who was a SIM missionary, and they were working in Elwa Hospital, which is SIM. So, we had actually looked at different organizations, but God just really brought us to to s i m and we were like man this this organization's really doing it they they've got three three approaches: respond to need, equip the local church, and proclaim the gospel. I'm like, that's everything all in one package so we started going through the The process, and then we prayed about where to go, and God laid Ecuador in our heart. So we went for a vision trip in 2013. I think, yeah, 2013. And, you know, we fell in love with it. As soon as we got off the plane, we're like, we're home.
1: Oh, that's so good. So you decide, you know, you're going to go with them. like what happens in that process? Is there an application process? Like oh, what yeah. kind of happens in, in between of, you know, you making this decision and going on. So when you went on the vision trip, had you already made the decision? Like this is for sure, for sure what we're going to do. Or did you go on the vision trip as like kind of like another, uh, you know, just to test out the waters.
0: So by that point we did know that we were going with Sim. Um, and- by the grace of God, I, as I got out of the army, because I was medically separated, they gave me a little severance package, and that that gave us the means to go on a trip and, you know, see the the layout before we went. But yeah, at that point we knew we were going with Sim. We were pretty confident we were going to go to Ecuador. But you start off, and there's like several processes as new missionaries come in. We've got one called Sim Start, and that's like a, it's like a four-day weekend, or it was when we came in. And that's, that's so that you can get to know the organization. They can get to know you and say, okay, this is a good fit and we can move on to the next process or maybe you need to do some growing or maybe this isn't the right fit for you, which is good. It's valid because, you know, you want to make sure that you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. And then after that, you go to a, to a, a session that's about two weeks long called Sim, Sim Go. Now we have new a new process, but at the time it was simGo. so we were here with other new missionaries for two weeks. and you know, just like when you go to basic or any other small short time frame, you make some lifelong friends. and we really connected with those people. but we also went through the training of how to raise support, um what it was like on the field, and they equipped us more. And then after that, you're required to go through cross-cultural training, which, I love that we require that there's one in Union Mills, North Carolina. There's one in, I believe in Colorado, but we went and we went for six weeks, four weeks was cross-cultural training, basically how to leave your culture at the door so that you can learn the culture of the place you're going to be working in because Americans, let's be honest, Americans like to go in and they're like, well, this is how we do it in America. And this, let me fix this for you. And it's not about that. It's about what's that culture look like and how can we serve in that culture and help equip them without bringing our culture into it.
1: That's so good. That's so good because it is almost like, you know, we, and it is true. We feel like we have the best, we know the best. And so Mm -hmm. how do you win people though? That You have a common ground, right? And that you're willing to understand, you know, their culture, understand, you know, their food and their language Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So I think that's powerful. So I do want to interject a little bit because you talk a lot about Kelly, but there were some kids that went along with this. So yeah. As you're going through this process, let's go back just a little bit. Like, how did you deliver this to the kids? Because at the time, I mean, everyone was a lot younger than they are now, but they were younger. They were set in where they were in their school and their friends. So talk a little bit about that transition and really talking to the kids about it.
0: So being military brats, they were used to some amount of transition. Now, by the grace of God, I stayed at fort bragg all 10 years and some change of my for well the kids stayed at fort bragg all that time i mean i added it up between training and deployments i was gone for four years but they were based out of fort bragg but during pcs season when people would go to other bases they lost friends um they were used to i mean we moved houses on fort bragg probably five times so they were used to you know kind of uprooting and you know going to a new place or getting new friends in the neighborhood. We had the luxury of staying at the same church the entire time, which was a huge blessing. But they they understood transition to an extent. Um, we had, by that time, one teenager, one preteen, and then two little boys. The little boys were the easier part of the transition because you know we've homeschooled all that time. And so as long as the little boys had mom, they were good. My oldest, Eric, he he struggled with it because he's kind of like a, I don't believe it until I see it. Just like when we were supposed to go to Haiti during 2010 to do disaster relief or deployments. I mean, we'd always hear, okay, you're going this time, and it didn't happen, or it was delayed. So when I actually moved off post, right before we ETSed, it started getting real for him, and he struggled. And we always said, if it didn't work for one of us, it didn't work for the whole family because we're a package deal. And so we, we went through, you know, the struggles of leaving military life and then leaving life in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so it, it was hard, especially for the older kids. Yeah. But and- oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, I just love how you put that in place and said that if it's not for all of us, it's not for any of us, right? Because we're all in this together. So I just love that, but go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, our stance has always been my first, our first ministry is the family. And, you know, it's not that we're sacrificing our ministry for our kids. It's that our ministry is our kids and then whatever God puts on, on our plate. And we really don't believe God's going to put something on our plate that's destructive to our first ministry. So we are like, yeah, it's a package deal. And, you know, having that, that safety net, I think gave them the courage to go forward and explore this new, this new world with us.
1: Yeah. I love that. You know, it's it's so funny, Reeves, because when you talk about, you know, being a missionary and doing this, and I think about the fact that all of us say, oh, I want to help this organization. Oh, I want to go do this. Oh, I want to feed kids. You know, I want to do all of this work, but all of our intentions are great, but it really is actually doing the work. And so, you know, you kind of have this call to be a missionary. You guys get to... Um, you guys get to Guatemala. Um, what really drive or really was the thing that you were like, I know I have this feeling, but it's easy for us to be like, well, I have the feeling, but we could just wait a little bit. You know, what was that right. driving force that was like, I want to go. And I, and I know because, you know, Jesus said it, but a lot of us hear right. that voice. We're still like, we're still going to decide to, but um, but just knowing i guess the mission was so much bigger what what kind of drew you to say i'm going to take my whole family right i'm thinking about my family right now and i'm like to just move them to another country um what drives that
0: so guatemala actually happened in 1998 that was that was our first mission experience we were newly engaged so we didn't have the kids with with us then but and that's Funny, so I'll give you the little funny story about that. I, I came from a very old school Southern Baptist background, but my, my sister drugged me to this, this Bible study and, you know, I'd never experienced a prophet before, but there was a guy there who was a prophet and he, he poured oil on my head, which, you know, I was kind of irritated about because I had these long, pretty locks. Um, it was gorgeous. And he's like, you've ever been anointed with oil? I'm like, no, man, I'm Baptist. <laughs> And I was kind (laughs) of irritated, but he spoke over me and he said that eventually I would go to Haiti and Guatemala. And I was like, Well, I'm not doing either because I don't, I mean, I'm in control and you're not telling me what I'm going to do. But the next year, I had met my wife and we actually, by that time, we were engaged and I had joined her church because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I joined her church and they were doing a mission trip to Guatemala that summer. And so in this, like, I guess early spring, late winter, we had this family come that spoke that were missionaries in China. And we we're like, yeah, maybe, maybe we could be missionaries one day. It kind of, you know, felt a little bit of that call. But when we got to Guatemala that summer and we were there building a church and doing vacation Bible school, and we were only there for about 10 days, but man, that made such an impact. And like, Yes, we both felt like this is what God's gonna have us doing one day. Yeah. Um, so yeah you know, Guatemala was back when we were young and you know babies and newly engaged and but so I mean it mean,
1: stuck yeah, and you didn't have the kids, but for Ecuador, yep, now we have these kids and so was it kind of that same drive when it was time to go to Ecuador even with the family, even with everything else you were leaving behind it was still like that call was just so strong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we, we got a lot of people including family members saying, well, how can you leave your, your country behind? How can you take your kids? I'm like, look, I mean, I've been deployed. I've left my family for years at a time. If I'm with my family, I can do anything. I mean, and truthfully, like when I felt God really calling me out, I spent a lot of time in the word and what I realized is yes, I believe we're all called. Like you said. I mean I there there wasn't this this ray of like beam of sunlight that shine that that shone on me and it wasn't this like magical movie experience. But, you know, my heart was softened and there was there was a change in my mentality. But you know, I I was really honestly I was scared to tell some of my family that, you know, I'm giving up a good career as a captain. Um and financial stability and all that to go pursue this but i mean i knew that that was what i was supposed to do there was something in my heart and so yeah i just i was like if this is what god's called me to do i've come from a place of brokenness and i've come from a place of healing and i know who has the power in all of this so if god tells you to do something you jump
1: right
0: there was a story i used to tell during this time frame when i was in college we had this place called little river canyon and it was a rock quarry and like you'd go up there and you jump it's like between 50 and 75 feet you jump into the pond at the bottom of the rock quarry so you'd always have somebody on point looking over making sure nobody was down there and they tell you go and you just run and jump and i equate that to like when god's telling you to do something that holy spirit's over there looking at the edge and he's going to tell you green light go But if you stand at the edge and you look over it, you're going to talk yourself out of it. And that's, that was my whole mentality. I'm like, I'm not going to talk myself out of it. This is what God's calling me to do. I'm just going to do it. And there was peace with that.
1: Yeah, I love that. And then when you guys got to Ecuador, what was your main mission there um, in Ecuador? Because you guys did an amazing, I mean, just all of this stuff, uh, getting the newsletters and hearing all that you guys were doing over there. What was your main mission
0: so the great thing I love about our organization organization um, is that your first year, you're not allowed to lead any ministry. You are there to learn the language and the culture. And so when we were at the end of our year, we had been working alongside the youth ministry. And that's really what God had put on my heart when we went was, you know, as a young Christian, I wasn't discipled. So my faith fluctuated a lot and it took a lot of like, Wise people pouring into me over the years to get that discipleship that I should have had as a baby Christian. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we need to disciple the young believers. And that's what got us down there. Um, and honestly, by the time that we had cleared our first year of language and culture, they put me as the director of all the youth ministries. And I'm like, really? And they're like, well, I mean, you, you were a commander in the army, so why not? Yeah. And I wouldn't suggest that for new missionaries taking on something like that. But I did have the leadership experience, so it it was a good fit. And then, so we did a lot of, you know, mentoring, working with the youth, but not outside the church because inside the church, they're very possessive of their young people. So Mm -hmm. if you invite invite some youth from one church to another church, they're not going to come because their pastors are very, you know, possessive. But so we did a lot of stuff outside of the church that brought all the youth groups together. Um, one of the things that I was passionate about was, as a young man, you know, most young men deal with purity issues, pornography, lust. Um, it's it's just like the barracks there in Ecuador; they deal with the same pornography, and you know, it's not uncommon for the young men to have a male relative, even young men that you know families are Christian, but. They'll be taken to the prostitute when af- after they hit puberty just to prove their manhood. And so that really, it hit a chord for me and I was like, what can I do? So I started meeting with our pastors and I started doing a purity ministry based off the purity principle and it was altered to fit the culture, but started off with a small little Bible study at church and it grew into, by the time we left Ecuador, I, I preached on Purity for an hour, and we had a Purity weekend where we were breakout sessions, going covering different topics for the boys, for the girls, um, for, you know, like it was co-ed at some points, talking about some issues. But yeah, that was something that God laid on my heart, and I'm really proud that He allowed me to be a part of that ministry. And the other thing that I think you, you may be alluding to is right after we were cleared for ministry— we had a 7.8 earthquake on the coast of Ecuador and we felt it where we were but it was 15 hours away where it really hit so the director also pulled me aside and said hey you're the one that I think think that can keep his head on straight in this crisis because your military experience because you've been in combat i think that you'll be able to handle that stress level so he put me in charge of the earthquake relief so we made several trips to the coast to do reconstruction to do outreach, BBS type deal for the kids. And we took a ministry called trauma healing that mom and wife is really involved with. And we helped minister the people after a traumatic event. So, you know, God, I didn't do great things, but God allowed me to be a part of some great
1: things. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that. You know, one of the things that even when you all were going um, and we were just praying for you and, you know, for a lot of missionaries, and I don't know if this is true in Ecuador, but a lot of missionaries, they're going to these places where Christianity is is foreign, right? Or it's not mm-hmm. welcome um, at all. And so in Ecuador, was, was it more welcoming as far as uh, a lot more safe than some of the other countries?
0: Yeah, so in Ecuador, it's like 95 to 98 percent. Roman Catholic, but a lot of that secular Roman Catholic. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. Catholic because my mom's Catholic, and then we'll do Mass when we have to. Um, but you know, in a lot of ways, there's not that personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But they didn't—they didn't see us as you know threatening. They—we were really welcomed. Um, but they kind of looked at us in the same light as Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they're like, you know, they say that they're Christian, but they're not because they don't believe in the Virgin or, you know, so we're held at a distance. But I mean, you could still break through. But as far as like ministering and doing evangelism, because that secular Catholicism is so entrenched, it's really hard to make them understand. Honestly, it's probably easier to minister to and share the gospel with a non-believer who has no knowledge than somebody coming from that background because it's just really entrenched in generation after generation. The church in Ecuador is about 40 years old. That's it.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so even before you go, you guys have to raise money, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to raise money and you rely on, you know, donors and Mm -hmm. things like that. So like before you go for like a family of four, what is that? What is that financial investment look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what you're trying to raise from... Let's see.
0: Now, see, this is why we should have Kelly on, too, because she is the numbers person. We say that she's the brains and I'm the heart of the relationship. But we did have to raise a good bit. We had to raise enough for travel there and back. We had to raise enough to sustain a family of six there. And so, yeah, it typically takes around 18 months to two years to raise Mm -hmm. Not only your one-time cost of getting down there and all the training, like the co- cross-cultural training that we went through, was over twenty thousand. So we had, yeah, because you know, what I mean, we were there for six weeks. For six weeks, yeah. So, yeah, it's not cheap, but I mean, honestly, we already we already made that jump over the cliff. So it's like, if I did what God asked me to. do. He's going to sustain us, and honestly, we we were. At our monthly needs, people had started giving for the monthly, but we were still behind like $11,000 for our one-time needs. And this family, I won't say any names, but there was a family who, you know, they were junior enlisted and i have been junior enlisted. And, you know, I know that there were a lot of times they were living paycheck to paycheck. And they reached out and they said, how much are you – I got to be careful. I'm going to start crying. But they said, how much do you need? And I was like, well, around 11,000 or so is what we need just so we can get out the door. And they're like, okay, we got it. And I'm like, and we're, this was on Facebook Messenger. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm reading this right. You got it? Like, yeah, I got it. I hear what you're saying. Or I got it. Like I understand. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I, I showed Kelly. I was like, "What does this mean?" And she's like, "I don't know." And then she's like, "No, we've, we were praying about it, and we had our, our income tax return back, and they gave us thirteen thousand dollars. All right, I know I'm gonna start crying, but, but given so sacrificially, and God provides from." Places that you would never ever expect. Like we've got a lot of we've had a lot of supporters that you know they are financially sound, and you know it's not that we're saying oh why don't they give more. It's just you would expect like the big huge amounts coming from the people that are really prosperous. But some of these people are prosperous or supporting multiple missionaries, so they have to be a little bit more conservative. But then I always think of the widow given the two coins. Right. And so.
1: And that her offering was greater than than everybody else's because she gave out of her lack and not out of her abundance. I I think I want to bring it into context because I understand what you say, Junior Enlisted. Um, And so anybody can go on Google and see really the um, the pay chart for anyone in the, in the military. And so if you see that anything pretty much below an E5, um, you would, you could see their pay scale. So when you look at that and you think they clearly could have done something with this $13,000, you know, and how you were saying they were, you're sure there were times where it was kind of tough. And so I think I, I just think about the heart of people, mm-hmm. right? I think in this time of just COVID and uh, just all of the racial tensions and injustices, and it's so easy to look at all of the bad
0: mm-hmm. that
1: we, it kind of overshadows all of the good. Right in people that people mm-hmm. want to help that people want to be there that families will completely move their families mm-hmm. from North Carolina to Ecuador that someone would give a $13,000 gift mm-hmm. you know um and i i think it tears me up because that's the reason why i do this podcast is to remind people that there is still good in the world mm-hmm. that we can all impact even if it's in our small ways. Like there was no way Reeves that that family would have invested had you not invested something in them, whether it was a talk, whether it was whatever, you know? And so we never know those small seeds that God has us planting, what that is going to look like. And sometimes it's not necessarily coming back to us, but I do say that because you impact the lives of so many people on a daily basis, you know, so.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't think we're meant to see all those seeds to fruition, but when God allows you to see, like after we got back from Ecuador, um, one of my dearest friends, he brought his cousin to a purity night at my house and we had like 35 young people there. And I was speaking on what God had intended for marriage and before marriage. And, you know, I, I was transparent. Because uh, that's what I do. I'm transparent. But, you know, I met his cousin, sweet kid, hit it off with him. I mean, I'm that missionary that likes to play loud guitar. So, I mean, you know, most most of them really identify with me. But, you know, that was all that I, I remembered of it. And then, like, a year and a half later, after I'd been back in the States for a while, you know, my friend reached out and he's like, My friend decided to give his life to Christ. And he said, a lot of it came just from that one night that I was speaking to these young people. And that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit that pulled him in. I can't save people. Man, when he allows us to be used, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, it it leaves me speechless.
1: Right. So let's kind of lead up to that because you're transitioning back. You guys are back Mm -hmm. here in the States. And so now that you're back, um, what are you doing exactly? What, is, what does life look like like once you come off of the uh, missionary field and you're back into regular life, essentially?
0: Yeah, so still a missionary. Um, Kelly and I are both fulfilling roles within some. Uh, Kelly's job is actually working. Like I said, she, she and I both do a ministry called trauma healing, but being that she's the brains and I'm the heart, she has propensity for logistics. So she's the... Uh, the international administrator for trauma healing ministries globally. So she helps facilitate and organize and do all the things behind the scenes. So she doesn't get the glory, but man, she, she does the job. And so back in the States, I have, basically I've got three roles. I do the trauma healing and that's just sporadic. When the opportunity comes, I went to Kenya to train, um, the African military and the, under the African military context, I did the Kenyan um, security forces, teaching them trauma healing. And that's what I love. I love going to help minister to soldiers and give them tools to help minister other soldiers. Because as a vet with PTSD, I know what war can do to people. And so I love doing that. But it's just, it's a small little piece of my pie. The other piece of my pie is I'm a chaplain to other missionaries. So, you know, the, people have this misconception that, you know, missionaries are like, you got your pastors here and then On the next level, you got the missionaries, and we've got a joke in our circle of friends. Like, Jesus uses us all, but for missionaries, he's scraping the bottom of the barrel because we are some broken people, and we are just as susceptible to hurt and brokenness. So God allows me to be a chaplain and minister to other missionaries who are suffering. And sometimes it doesn't feel like a safe place as a missionary to say, I'm struggling with this. Or i'm having a hard time in my marriage or i'm having a hard time coping with this so i'm that safe place that unless you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else i'm not saying anything come talk to me and that's what chaplaincy is it's a ministry of presence i'm not going to give you all the answers if you need me to help you get resources i'll do that but just being a safe place to listen to is huge for these people and my big job is i'm the security director for sim usa um, I never thought God would use my background in the military to come full circle and minister to our missionaries here, but the stuff that I hated doing when I was in command, like risk assessment, safety plan, I remember going to the range and I had to go brief the colonel saying, well, this is what we're going to do for inclement weather. Or this, you know, all, It was just red tape to keep us from doing what we're doing, but now I'm helping teach Missionaries that are going into some of these dangerous countries that you, you mentioned, you know, Asia, Middle East, West Africa in particular. And I'm teaching them principles of how to trust God, but at the same time, how to act wisely. And that's a balance because we could walk across Bragg Boulevard and Fayetteville blindfolded and be like, God's going to keep me safe. And God's going to be like, I gave you a brain sign. Use it use it and that's what i'm teaching people how to balance that trust in god and acting wisely so i that's one of my roles I, we've got 700 plus missionaries in the u.s and my job is to get them trained and up to speed on security techniques um i also do the physical security here on our campus so we've got about 100 acres here in charlotte so you know part of that is to keep that safe and so yeah another thing is when there's you know, incidents that happen around the world. I'm here to help facilitate. I can't, because of the nature of it, I can't really share a lot of details, but um, I shared with you that in, I guess about four weeks ago, we had a family who were serving in West Africa. and, And I won't say the name of the organization, but there was a terrorist organization that targeted this family in particular. So I had to help deal with the security team, get them safely evacuated out of the city. And then dealing with the state department and the embassies on the consulate. And then I finally actually brought in both of our senators here in North Carolina to the mix to say, Hey, you need to help get this going because they're dragging their feet and we got a family that needs to come back. Yeah. So after, you know, dealing with them for about three business days, we got them on a plane and now they're safely back in the, in the States.
1: Yeah, I I think you really bring up a, like you said, misconception is that uh, oftentimes we're like, oh, you know, um, missionaries are only in other countries. They're only going to other countries. But what you and Kelly and that team there are doing, it just goes to prove that there's stuff here, um, you know, that you're doing and that everything really has come full circle for you. You know, the same thing you were doing in theater the second time you were deployed when you were moving troops that now you're helping uh, missionaries kind of in that same, in that same way. So I love that. So, I mean, your family is just an adventure. So what is next for the Reeves family?
0: So every time that we make a plan and we've got the best of intentions, like I planned on being in the army for 20 years and then, becoming a missionary and you know after that was clearly not the plan god revealed that to me we were like well we're going to ecuador so we invested and we we did the process of getting residency in ecuador because we're like we well, here for the long term that's that's where we are and then after two terms god's like yeah um that's not what's going to happen right now either because we do have two older kids one's 20 Um, Michaela Eric's 20 my oldest and Michaela just started college two weeks ago so we really felt God calling us back so that we could help them launch well into adulthood and that's when he gave us these positions and again it was I couldn't have planned any better job I couldn't have written a better job description if you gave me a blank piece of paper and said use your skills and give the best job but that being said we feel like one day God may call us back to the field, specifically Ecuador. Mm -hmm. But our prayer is because we know how hard it is for teenagers to transition on the field. And it wasn't a mistake, we were supposed to go the first time. But our prayer is that when he sends us again, if, and when he sends us again, it'll be about 10 years down the road so that we can help our youngest launch into adulthood before we leave the country again. But you know, the answer, the short answer is, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what God puts on our plate and I'm sure it'll be amazing and something that we couldn't describe.
1: I love it. So this is my last question and I'm going to wrap it up. I want you to just paint the picture that you've accomplished everything that you've ever dreamed of. You guys have helped ministries. You've been on the mission field, like you've done everything that you felt that, Mm -hmm. you know, you wanted to do that. God has called you to do. What are you most proud of?
0: Well, I think that, you know, we alluded to it before. Our first ministry is our family. And if God had not allowed me to do any of the things that he's allowed me to be a part of, the fact that my kids know the Lord Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and they're on different, different parts of their walk with the Lord. And, you know, I'm praying that, you know, Some of them grow closer or some of them get that deeper, that deeper level. But, you know, it's all, it's all a process. Salvation's a process. So it's a, it's a marathon. So there's going to be ups and downs, but they know the Lord. I had the, the pleasure of baptizing three of my four kids.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
0: And so if I had no other legacy, I would say that the fact that I know my wife and kids will be with me, you're going to get me crying, but the fact that I know my wife and kids will be in paradise with me one day, who could
1: ask for more? Right, I. I love that. I love that. I love just your spirit. I love your soul. I love who you are, Uh, Reeves, you and your family. You guys are just absolutely amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. But before we leave, I want to know, one, how can we keep in touch with you? If there's anyone that wants to connect with you and partner with you guys through SIM and through the work that you're doing, how can we do that?
0: Well so there's I can send you some links that you can post with this, but we do have a link for people to sign up for our prayer letter. Um, we do have a ministry page on epistle, which is it's even better than a prayer letter and I will be honest with you. We need to update it before you put this out so it doesn't look like that we've been slacking but with Corona, our posts have been minimal lately, but we put post on there on a regular basis. And people can subscribe on that to get updates. So you can say, hey, look, I want to get updates time now. So as soon as me or Kelly writes something on there, it goes to your email. Or if I'm understanding what my wife described, you can actually go on there. Remember, she's the brains, I'm the heart. Mm-hmm. You can go on there and you can say, I want a monthly update. So it consolidates those posts into one. And, you know, some people don't want to hear from you every day. Some people want to hear from you every five minutes. So it gets a good balance in that. Um, We do have a ministry page on our Facebook that we try to update regularly. And you know I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. If you add me on Facebook, I promise you, it's only going to be stuff that I think is either funny or spiritually uplifting. I don't play these political games because you know what? At the end of the day, my residency is in heaven. It's not on this earth. So yeah, I'm not going to... I'm not going to put that garbage that we see on the news every day and just bombards us with all this negative. I just want to put positive stuff on on my I page and in my life.
1: And so what's your handle on um, Facebook and Instagram?
0: So if you search for me for Michael.w.reeves on Instagram, I was able to snag that one. And if you search for me on Facebook, it's just Michael um, W. Reeves.
1: Excellent. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I'll make sure that we do put the links in the show notes so you can go there. You can sign up for the newsletter as well as any partnerships and things that they have. We'll also Mm. put the handles on there so we can keep in touch with you so we can laugh at the craziness um, that you put up that makes us laugh as well as the inspiration. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. And there's Just to have an excuse to sit down with you for an hour. I would do it every day if I could.
1: You are too kind. (laughs) I'll leave you with this. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. As always, we end every show with this declaration. Waking up is automatic. Showing up is intentional. Today, I will show up. Thanks again for spending time with me today and listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you never miss a show, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend or foe. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I am Portia Scott. Until next time, go impact the world.